Welcome to the Work Reset Revolution. And this revolution and this podcast was actually created to inspire people to change the way the way that we work. And this actual series is dedicated to climate well-being. And our scientific research, we're beginning to see climate anxiety seep into the workplace, along with trauma from the last few years, which are contributing to much higher risks of burnout. So this is the reason we wanted to look at our own well-being, the action we can take to help the planet collectively and individually. So today I'm speaking to Jenny Garbis. And Jenny is an author and award-winning researcher on climate change and green investment, a sustainability advocate that has experience in both building sustainable ventures and helping finance them. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. Good to be here. This is a really exciting topic and a topic that's very close to my heart, as I often talk about burnt out people um, can burn out the planet and really wanting to help people having the right energy to look after our environment, which means we need to change the way we work. So I want to ask you, in your view, what are the biggest challenges that organizations are facing at the moment? So I think this is a really interesting question, and it's also a hugely complex uh, question, and one to which I'll probably give quite a long answer for, but I'll be as succinct as I can be. I think there's a few elements to this question. So even within talking about which organizations, um, I think there's the general corporates, so the kind of large non-green related businesses. And then there's also the green businesses, so the sustainable startups, the brand new clean tech innovators. Then I also think that we need to consider consumer behavior and the lack of consumer trust that is happening at the moment. Perhaps as well, the government giving inconsistent support, which is very confusing for businesses at the moment. So with that, yeah. I'll, I'll dig into each of those a little deeper. So generally for corporates at the moment, given today's current macroeconomic climate, they're far more cautious on spending and lower budget means that sustainable choices can be put on the back burner. The cost of living and other social stresses means that many employees and corporates are in survival mode at the moment. I recently just, well, my previous position was working at a sustainability consultancy and we saw that firsthand. Um, they're being forced to cut yeah. jobs. Um, you know, headcount is is being cold. We're seeing that everywhere. But also things like investing in sustainability consultancies to help them build out their sustainable development roadmap. There's a huge budget cut um, in that space too. In addition to that, making investment in things like supply chain to make them much more sustainable and green tends to be a huge upfront cost, but then perhaps um, is cheaper in the long run in the same way that if you put solar panels on your roof, it costs a huge amount of money, but then in a few years time, you're hardly paying anything for electricity. Um, but obviously employers don't have that huge amount of money to make that investment at the moment. So changing prices to be greener can be expensive upfront, yeah. but there is rising consumer demands and legislative changes which are causing the need for corporates to change. Looking more closely at green businesses, so in my current position, I help startups get funding. Um, so I work at an investment management firm. We're effectively a broker between the investor and the startups that are raising money. Um, the UK's green economy contributed 71 billion in gross value added last year. So green business is booming and we're creating a huge amount of value for the economy. Right. 
It is amazing. And there's a huge amount of innovation in sustainability. PwC actually quoted that 25% of all venture investment went into sustainable business last year. But the government is slow to make systemic change and there's often a green premium on consumer products and services. So it's actually still super hard to acquire and retain customers in this economic climate, despite the amount of investment that's going into the new technologies. Um, I'll also say that the EU and the US are investing heavily in clean technologies, which is leaving the UK at risk of losing out if the government don't invest more in the innovation um, in the UK. Obviously, we're trying to put in as much private investment as we can. Um, but I, I published a book a few years ago, and one of the main findings from that research was that we need the public and private sector financing to come together to solve this problem. Um, the CBI recently warned that the UK risks squandering about 4.3 billion um, between now and 2030 if we lose out in the global clean tech race. So therefore, one of the challenges that I think we're facing in the UK economy more generally when it comes to green business is that if we're not first to market and we're not making these investments now, we may lose out uh, in total. So Although there is a shift in consumer attitudes and behavior, many people are actually still not willing to make sacrifices for the environment. So a study recently reported on by uh, politics.co.uk found that only 9% of people are foregoing flights already to tackle climate change, and 48% of people are completely unwilling to do this. 33% are willing to pay extra fees to offset their flying emissions and 3% are currently taking this up where it exists, and 30% are unwilling. I use this as an example because I think we assume, especially as people that are passionate about sustainability, and I, I count both of us in that, that we assume everybody knows that climate change is a problem, everybody believes and understands in climate change, and everybody is willing to change their behaviour. And I just don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, I wrote an article recently on the psychological reasons for that. And one of them is that it's really hard to avoid the emotion of loss aversion when, for example, if you love going on holiday, not taking flights might reduce your experience and happiness and well-being within your life. Um, I think a lot of the alternative products also on the market are not really considered good enough to make the consumer actually change over as well. Um, for example, many people don't like um, electric vehicles because they think that the lithium batteries are not very environmentally friendly and they're not very convenient to use either. Um, and then I'll just uh, finish on a final point on this question, which is the lack of consumer trust. And I think this really needs to be talked about. So many companies have been accused and found guilty of greenwashing. And to name a few, and I don't mind naming and shaming, yeah. <laughs> um, ASOS, Boohoo, Asda, Pretty Little Thing. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Um, so consumers struggle to know who to trust. And in addition to brand trust, even sustainability professionals themselves don't trust carbon offsetting schemes, as an example. So only four out of 10 sustainability professionals actually trust the carbon offsetting schemes that they're using. Um, and COP27 did very little to cement any global commitments to action. So consumers are constantly being bombarded with the language and narrative that we need to make a change. But then I think there aren't always uh, clear and obvious solutions for them to kind of attach themselves to. And I just want to kind of tag in on that. And I think that's the thing. It's like we've, there are all the terror stories and we've got to make a change. But often there's not they're not people are not being shown a practical 
offering of how they can make a change or look this is how things you know things in your home that you know you can you can change yourself so there's a huge awareness piece out there that uh, still needs to happen that a lot of people are not aware but we also need to change our mindset i think in those stats that you just said about uh, many people are not willing to maybe fly less or you know we've had the pandemic we haven't people weren't able to travel um I made a conscious decision about this myself many years ago, not to get a car and to try to, you know, travel alternatively. So, but this was a, a mindset change that took place. And I think that's where we need to get to is that our mindset needs to change is that simply we need to do things differently. If we want to, you know, we will reverse things. We will see things, you know, we will save our planet, but we need to do things. We need to start thinking differently. And I just, you know, from a practical perspective, I think people on this podcast would really benefit from some of the things I think also that you know, maybe you'll talk about that in in the next bit. But what you what you have been doing, Jenny, yourself, because I really, really enjoy your LinkedIn posts and helpful posts that you're putting out there and what you're actually taking action on yourself. And I think you can help so many people with that. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And I completely agree. And I also want to stress that it is not all gloom and gloom. There are a lot of good people doing good things out there yes. um, to help the environment and, and to make sustainable choices. And there are absolutely things that we can do. Um, I'll just finish on one final challenge and then we can come to the more positive side of the solutions to these challenges. Um, so something that I noticed in my last firm when I was working with some huge uh, corporations on their sustainability strategies is that a lot of companies are actually just focusing on reporting on scope one and scope two emissions. So uh, for anyone that doesn't know on this podcast, scope one is direct emissions from their operations. Scope two is indirect emissions from purchased energy. Um, but then they also forget to report on scope three. And scope three is all other emissions associated with the company's activities. The reason why this is important, and this is kind of around the consumer trust piece, is that um, this may not be as well known to, to most people, but um, actually a lot of the time they're obviously reporting on scope one and scope two saying things like we're making a 97% reduction in CO2 emissions, but they haven't even touched the scope three emissions. So it can be somewhat misleading um, because we assume that they're about to hit carbon neutral, but actually they're about to hit carbon neutral within scope one and scope two, not overall. Um so I think it's 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 a very, very complex area. And I mean, I obviously spent quite a lot of time researching it. But for the average person that isn't researching climate change and sustainability every day, it's a very, very complex area to understand. Yeah, and it is complex. And I think that's why there need to be some easier ways for people to understand, you know, what it is that they can do that, that what's helping, right? <laughs> what's helping? Because I've had a few conversations with, with people saying, well, what's, what I'm, what I can do myself, uh, I doesn't, doesn't really matter. And we've seen in our research that actually, you know, people can bring their climate concerns into their workplace. And uh, this is can contribute to, you know, higher feelings of, of, of stress exacerbated. And, we, you know, we don't want that to, to happen, right? So there's organizations role there, but also individuals and, you know, across the globe, we all need to start making those those changes. So I kind of wanted to go over to the next question and sort of what are the solutions to these 
what do you see as the solutions to these challenges? And, and tell me a bit more about the work that you do in, in sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is the much more fun part of the podcast how we get to talk about all the good things that are happening. <laughs> Um, but I think, you know, as I mentioned um, previously, there is a huge amount of investment going into innovation. So the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit have just come out with uh, their think tank, by the way. Um, they've just come out with a new report saying that actually venture investment in the net zero economy has grown by 30 percent since 2019, which is massive. But we do need to be mindful that investors may well choose other markets in future unless there's a more enabling environment. Um, climate tech is actually the number one area of interest in the investment firm that I work for. And it's really important that we continue to support new inventors and uplift entrepreneurs in the UK. And um, to answer your question around the environmental work that, that I've focused on, I guess I kind of focus on one of two things. So the first being to elevate and support the entrepreneurs and innovation within the space to raise awareness of them and get more consumers engaged in the discussion around climate change, but also um, adopt, well, I guess, adapting their behavior to choose more sustainable um, products and services, but also more sustainable behavior choices. But I've also done quite a lot of work actually building the ventures and products and services myself. So in my last firm, I worked at a sustainability venture builder where we helped to launch an insect-based cat food brand, <laughs> which was really interesting and is far, far more environmentally friendly um, because of the way that the insects are grown and the fact that it's insects rather than beef or chicken. Um, we also launched a sustainability academy. So we would actually go into corporates and we would upskill the whole workforce. So I think one of the good things that's happening is that we are educating people and people are becoming much more interested um, in, in learning about uh, sustainable development and what they can do in their personal lives. People are a lot more aware of it. Um, another thing that we can do is active ownership and impact. So the investee companies that uh, we work with at my current firm, they really need support from investors. So few companies are prepared for the world that we're heading towards. Um, and that's to do with the macroeconomic climate, which I suppose is already happening, but also what we're, we're heading towards. Um, and we want to encourage and push them to adapt um, because that will be really important to protect their value and protect their business. We do not want these guys going bust. We want them to be growing. Um, my next point might sound a bit odd, but I actually think that some legislative changes that are happening might help the cause. Um, so as an example, from October 2023, a far greater array of single-use plastics will be banned due to recent legislative changes that the government has made. Um, and basically, these this is going to force whole industries to operate and serve differently um, before consumers stop buying from them. So what I mean by that is if uh, hospitality and manufacturing are no longer to, uh, able to manufacture specific plastics, for example, the consumers are going to be much more engaged with those brands. So it's going to help the existing brands survive, but then also help the new startups to thrive. Um, something else that is really good that's happening is that there's a lot more support on how people communicate um, their, their, I suppose, disclose um, their sustainability claims. So this is around the issue of greenwashing. So the EU yeah. recently published its Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation and the UK's Financial Conduct Authority released a consultation paper on 
um, sustainability disclosure requirements. So what this means is that there's a lot more transparency and clarity in the product promises that we're giving to consumers. So everything that I was saying earlier about consumers having a lack of trust, I do think that we're going to see a shift from that soon um, because really businesses didn't have like a Bible to um, to read from, um, but now they will have guides that they can read, which will then guide their communications and gradually build consumer um, trust over time. And finally, that's really good. yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that's brilliant. I'm happy to hear that. Mm. And uh, finally, there is much upskilling that is still needed for energy workers. Um, so there's a lot of energy workers that are still working within the fossil fuel industry, but there's a huge push to actually reskill those workers. And the EU has drawn up plans to create a multi-billion euro package of state subsidies for green energy companies and electric car makers to do just that and much more. So I think really to summarise the solutions to these challenges, I think it's education. Um, I think there are legislative changes and guides and support um, from the public sector that, and the government that will support the private sector to, to move forward. And I also think that we're gradually going to see more trust from consumers um, as our uh, existing corporates and startups learn from the mistakes of the past. Thank you. And finally, what does a work reset revolution look like to you? Yeah, so I, I love that you've coined this phrase. And I think that burnout is a very, very real um, problem. And despite everything um, that was negative as a result of COVID, what did come out of it is that people have a much greater understanding and awareness of their own health and well-being. Um, and bur burnout really, in, in my view anyway, is a fundamentally an equation. So if you're putting more in than you are getting out, eventually you are gradually likely to burn out. Um, and just to sort of link this slightly to climate change as well, 97% of employees say that their company's action on climate change is more important for their motivation and well-being. Um, and one in 10 people are actually ready to leave their position one that offers sustainability related training so it does feel like there's an appetite for people to learn more um, and it does mean that in the workplace well-being is a mixture of balancing this equation but also being able to get employees to feel less eco-anxious and more connected to their jobs um, Absolutely, and yeah. <laughs> yeah and of course the more that we can give employees meaning in their work the more that we can help them avoid burnout so in psychology, we talk a lot about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation, for anyone that doesn't know, is basically being motivated to do things for no financial or material gain. So as an example, it might be supporting um, in a children's hospital, not because you're getting any extrinsic um, value from it, but because it is a nice thing to do and you're supporting, um, you're supporting someone in need. Whereas extrinsic motivation means that we do something for the material rewards. So that could be our salary package at the end of the month, as an example, or a big bonus that we're going to receive. Um, or perhaps we want to buy a new house, so it can also be material as well as financial. So in order to keep an employee motivated, they need to be receiving intrinsic or extrinsic rewards that are equal or more to the effort that they are putting in. They also want to be treated well as they're doing it. 
So they want to feel that the extrinsic reward they are receiving is enough for them to survive and live a comfortable life. But of course, we've all heard the story of the investment banker in the city that was making hundreds of thousands of pounds that was absolutely miserable. <laughs> um, so it's not always about um, the extrinsic reward. It's really important that we feel intrinsically motivated and connected to the work that we're doing. Um, and the way that we can uh, help us achieve that is to see where we fit within the bigger picture in the workplace. And so it's, it's um, about that balance, isn't it? It's like we all as human beings need to find that balance, that purpose, that, you know, that 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 reason that why what we're here, why we're here, what we're here to do, because we all have that. Um, and uh, so I completely agree. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, just to give a very personal example, whenever I take a new position, I always think about how I'm actually helping or or where I'm contributing to the bigger picture. So as an example, um, at my current firm, where I'm focusing on uh, helping to facilitate new investment into uh, clean tech startups and other types of startups, I know that the reason I'm doing it is because I want to move forward innovation for the greater good to help us solve the greatest challenges such as climate change. And even though I'm just one person, I'm, I definitely feel that I'm part of a bigger picture. So, and this is actually something that's really common in the Gen Z um, arena is that uh, Gen Zs more than ever, more than any other generation, need to feel connected to the bigger picture because of the the extra challenges that we're facing at the moment, kind of macroeconomically, um, because often the, the financial gain is not really enough for us um, because, of course, salaries haven't necessarily increased in line with inflation. So it's not yeah. as much of a motivator for us. We need to seek out other motivators. Um And I know that something that um, we talked about just before the podcast was some of the things that I do myself um, to make sure that my well-being and mental health is is tip top as much as it can be. Um, And I think really for me, whenever I've um, gone through a period where I either have burnt out or was very close to burning out, um, I want to preface what I'm about to say actually with the fact that everyone is different and everyone's an individual. So some people will tell you to get up at 5am, drink a green juice and go for a run. I'm not a morning person, that doesn't work for me. (laughs) But what does work for me is to really, really deep dive into research, into my mental health, into neuroscience, into psychology. Um, I've recently completed a master's in experimental psychology where I looked at a lot of that and I'm constantly reading um, my the latest neuroscience book. In fact, at the moment, I'm actually reading... I've just got it in front of me, actually, Being You by um, Anil Seth, uh, which I highly recommend. So I I love love that part of being because I think we need to get more into the place of being um, as humans. Right. Because we are human beings. (laughs) We're not. And and uh, and I see a lot of people, especially with, you know, the rising cost of living and the uncertainty that's out there, just sort of head down and more doing. But we need to be very careful of that this year. That we're also taking enough time to just be, you know, and to rest and to look after ourselves. So um, that that's brilliant that you you're on that journey also for yourself. A hundred percent. And I couldn't recommend it more because the more that you can understand yourself and the people around you and the world around you, the more you can understand how the brain works and our history as human beings. I know that a lot of people have read Sapiens and things like mm. that. Um, the more you can really understand why people behave the way they do and then therefore how you can work with a population or an individual to change certain behaviours. Um, Behaviour change is a super fascinating subject area for well-being and climate change. Absolutely. And um, 
So. Jenny, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, it's been a real delight. Um, we're kind of coming to the end sort of the podcast time. It's been been. I know that everybody listening is going to be absolutely um, fascinated, and um, they will be able to contact you. We'll leave the link below if anybody wants to have a chat with uh, Jenny. Um, and uh, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for um, your work on the Work Reset Revolution. It's such important work. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for listening to the Work Reset Revolution. I'd like to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. As a next step, share this episode with anyone that you think may benefit. Follow us on LinkedIn at Softer Success for more inspiration to change the way we work and contact us at info at to find out more about our burnout assessment tool. If you have any feedback on how to improve, please do reach out to me as I'm always keen to learn more. Thank you so much for listening and we'll meet again on the next episode of Work Reset Revolution.